Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, I'd like to go back to verse 27 of chapter 1 and dive into a little bit of chapter 2 as well. In these beginning chapters of Genesis, there's going to be a little bit of topical breaking uh, as we have already kind of established that pattern. So that being said, uh, today we want to go into a little bit more detail, into a little more detail regarding uh, human sexuality and gender. And we we got into it a little bit, but then we were trying to do other stuff in the previous episodes. So we're going to go in depth into that today and into marriage. Uh, we'll get to that more in chapter two as well. But we really want to see what the Bible has to say, because this has become such an incredible topic uh, in the last several years. It has changed so much and come to the forefront uh, in so many ways. In 2015, there was a watershed landmark ruling, Obergefell v. Hodges, that codified homosexual unions as the law of the land. Uh, and it overruled all state law because uh, different different states had different laws on the books regarding whether or not they recognized homosexual unions. After Obergefell v. Hodges, that all was done away with. However, just because the government says that something is true doesn't make it true if they disagree with the word of God. Uh, but not only have they come in and stomped all over marriage and tried to redefine it, but now we live in a day and age where gender itself is becoming what is called, I don't agree with this, but they're using these terms to describe it, fluid, that it can be changed at whim and it's not really set. And we've been introduced to this term in the last few years called cisgender. And this is a way, in fact, uh, this would be a way that you and I would probably define ourselves if we're going to use our society's modern parlance and, and vocabulary, this word was not really in common use more than a few years ago. And by the way, when I originally had worked through the material in Genesis, uh, it was starting in late 2015 and through 2016 that we ended up going through the book. And now all of this stuff has just become even more at the front, as we mentioned yesterday. Um, with Grudem and Piper and their the book uh, that they were editors of, Rediscovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, first published in 1991. They were way ahead of their time, and now we need this clarification in the biblical position even more. Churches are having to amend their doctrinal statements to make sure that they have articulations on human sexuality and marriage in their actual doctrinal statements so that they can be protected by law when they turn somebody down and say, I can't do a wedding or any of these things. And here it is in our doctrinal statement. 
So this term cisgender, uh, it means denoting or relating to a person whose self-identity conforms with the gender that corresponds to their biological sex, i.e. not transgender. So according to that crazy definition, then I am a cisgender male. But I don't need that adjective, right? I don't need the adjective cisgender. I am a male. Uh, That's how I was born. (laughs) And that's what I always will be. Then we've been introduced to another term, and it's gaining incredible population or popularity, excuse me, and traction uh, in today's day and age, and that's the idea of transgenderism, not to be confused with transvestitism, right? We have transvestites, we've had transvestites in the world for a long time, but the idea of transgender is actually fairly new, uh, only in the last you know, 10, 15 years at most. And so transgender is this idea of a person who, this is how society defines it, a person whose self-identity does not conform unambiguously to conventional notions of male or female gender. And, and they're, leaving, they're leaving it wide open to be anything. If you were born a biological male, you could be a female and therefore you are a trans female. I think I have that right. Which means if you hear the word trans female, that means that it's a male masquerading or as some people say, pretending uh, and that they're not wrong in using those words, pretending to be a female. So a trans male would be a woman masquerading as a man and so forth, right? And that, and now it's become accepted. And now we have great, huge, powerful companies, corporations, social media, Google, Facebook, you know, all of these things that like will literally silence you, punish you. If you say the wrong things, they'll suspend your account, could even completely shut you off. And we don't have time to get into the politics of all that. It's very, very telling when we got into the age of banning people for saying the wrong things or not holding a certain position uh, when Twitter was owned by Jack Dorsey. And, you know, it obviously went through a huge change this last year when Elon Musk took that over. And I think that was probably a change for the better. But it was really interesting that Twitter kept the account open of, you know, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. I mean, <laughs> you, you've got people that are chanting death to America who will post uh, Al Jazeera videos of live beheadings. I mean, absolutely grotesque, horrend- horrendous stuff. And those people are allowed to keep their Twitter accounts. But if you say something that goes against the U.S. government's official narrative, or you say that transgenderism is not real, that you say homosexual marriage is not actually marriage, uh, then you can be banned from all those platforms and you can have your account deleted. It's absolutely a crazy world that we live in. Now, we could go into this quite in depth. Uh, Back when I had done this research, I had gone to uh, a website that you'd probably need some caution going to, but uh, I think it was GLAAD. Um, it's a very homosexual, uh, lesbian friendly, gay friendly website. This is their main website and they are defining orientation and gender identity. And they say that it's all just a matter of what you feel. Uh, here is a quote from their own website. Uh, I put it in bold here. 
simply put, sexual orientation is about who you are attracted to and fall in love with. Gender identity is about your own sense of yourself. And therefore, having a definition like that, according to their own website, and I actually don't know if that's changed now in the last eight years. <laughs> a lot has changed in the last eight years. I'm assuming it's probably still the same since this is totally anti-biblical. Um, then you can be anything. You literally can be anything. And so they, they go to great lengths to make sure that nothing is, is off the table. So that brings us back to our text then, uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, 27 particularly. And I want to appeal to the New Testament, it's particularly uh, what Jesus said when he was questioned when during his earthly ministry, people are coming to try and trick him. And you have the Pharisees coming to him in Matthew chapter 19, and they're, they're misreading Moses, right? And they they as they're trying to trick Jesus, they say, why did Moses command that a certificate of divorce be given? And Jesus catches them on that and he calls him out. He's, you know, he didn't command that. It was because of the hardness of their hearts and so forth, right? But here's his response in Matthew 19, verse four. He said, have you not heard? In the beginning, he created them male and female. So right here, we have the Lord Jesus Christ saying with definitiveness, right? That, that there are only two genders, male and female. And then to help frame this conversation and this statement, as we have been working through Genesis, we have said and made the point here, and I think Genesis 1 makes an excellent uh, case for this, and I think we've proven this beyond a doubt, that God is the creator and we are the creation. We are the work of his hands. Well, here's, here's where it comes, you know, really back to, to roost, so to speak, and here's where it comes to bear, is as we are reading through Paul's argumentation in the book of Romans, we get this in Romans chapter 9, verses 19 to 21. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel, one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use? And you may say, well, what does that have to do with the creation of male and female? Well, everything. Because if what is said is true, and we are stipulating that it is, that verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1 are true and they are accurate. And in fact, Jesus quoted them in Matthew 19, 4, if God created us and he created us male and female, then it stands to reason that this argument that is being employed in Romans chapter 9 also applies to the argument of gender and sexuality. Okay, so he created mankind as male and female. That is it. There are no other genders. And we we don't have a right to question the creator when he's the one who created us. We don't get to uncreate ourselves. We don't get to, to change that around. In fact, we can't. And we kind of touched on that a little bit yesterday, and we'll probably go into more of that today. Then I want to back up to the beginning of Romans, because Romans 1 gives us a picture of the fall of a society. When a society is collapsing, when they are totally abandoning God and going away from that, they're 
some markers that happen. And one of the markers of a society that is collapsing and abandoning God is to go away from the natural order within creation. And then God gives that society up to depravity and to the deprivations of the mind. And we see that. And we don't have time to work all through Romans 1, but one of the things that is articulated for us there is this. We find this phrase, the natural use of the female. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but I think and let the reader understand that this is natural. It is baked into creation. And he says that man abandons the natural use of the female and burns with passion for one another. He's talking about homosexual activity. And he says that is wrong. It's sinful right there in Romans chapter one, and it goes against creation. And so we would then tie that looking ahead into Genesis to Genesis chapter two, verses 18 to 20, where we have the, the creation of Eve and marriage. And that's very important there to understand, right? Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them in to man to see what he would call them. Whatever man called the living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. There was no compatibility. And we'll, we'll get to that in due time. But what that means at the outset is that he saw, he saw that they they all had helpers. They all were paired off. And for this one animal, there was a a like animal that was of a different gender so that they could uh, produce and procreate. But there was nothing like that found for man. And so we see one of, it's not the primary use of marriage or not the primary purpose, but it helps in the fulfillment of the Edenic mandate to uh, fill the world and subdue it, right? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So we have this natural uh, use of the female. The naming of the animals there that we just read wasn't just an intellectual exercise. It had a purpose. Because Adam was supposed to see something when he's naming them, he's supposed to see male and female, and he didn't have something like that for him. Then we keep going in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations. Stop right there. Natural relations would be with a man for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, here is that verse that we alluded to earlier, verse 27, likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, the word homosexuality is not used there as it is in other places in Scripture, but that is a clear articulation of that, and it is a commentary that that is an abomination to the Lord. How were all the other animals created? Male and female. And, by the way, they were created through God's spoken word. 
Now, we have to go back and ask ourselves when it comes to uh, biology and all of these things, what was different about the creation of Eve in particular, and even even Adam? Okay, there is a process that we should get into, and we'll see it here in Genesis 2, but we're just going to take a broad overview of, of the entire thing. So we have this Toledoth, uh, with with regard to the creation of mankind in Genesis two verse th- uh, four, these are the generations. Remember that's that that word in Hebrew Toledoth. It's a great way to mark and structure the book of Genesis. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they are created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, earth and the heavens. And he's going to say, okay, what became of the earth and the heavens? Well, he put mankind in there, okay? So verse 7, Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So Adam is formed of the dust of the ground. It seems that there's a forming there, and then breath is given to him, the breath of life. But Eve is not created the same way. Eve is not created from the dust of the ground. She is created uh, from the side of Adam is, is really the accurate translation here. So as you go down then, and he finds that there's no helper for him, so then God puts a deep sleep on him, and we find that, right? Verse 21, so the Lord caused God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman— and he brought her to the man. Okay, uh, that Hebrew word, you know, we don't want to get too in technical here, but rather than translate it rib, like think of the bone here necessarily, it's that she's literally taken from his side, not from the bottom, not from the top, uh, but literally there's a picture there of co-equality, uh, not not egalitarianism as we tend to think of it, but uh, they are equal before God. Uh, This uh, man and woman stand together and make up humanity. So that's the process, and we see that it's different. Now, there's a time aspect to the creation as well. It would appear that everything else, whether it's the fish of the sea or the birds of the air or the livestock or the creeping things that creep upon the earth or whatever, the beasts of the field, They were all created in an instant. God just spoke them into existence. But Adam's formation seems to be a process. And so I think what we have here in this, starting in verse 7, and even with Eve, is we have a little hint into a little nod to Psalm 139, where we see this, he formed our inward parts while we were yet in our mother's womb. Of course, Adam's not in his mother's womb, but you understand there's the formation of that. Furthermore, once Adam was formed, he was given a command and a purpose. Uh, we looked at that. And in verses 15 to 17, he told him, and here it is stated a little differently. It's not just uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He put him, God put man in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And he commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there's a command and a purpose. And then he's given a task. And that is to name all the animals, which uh, we can go into some detail a little bit later. Uh, but but the, the point is, is he didn't have to name hundreds of thousands. He probably only has to, to name the kinds, the, the broad species of animals and not their sub-variants. And you have to keep in mind, there's a whole bunch of different variables working uh, here. 
Number one, Adam is probably the, the most incredibly intellectual man ever. Now, I have to be careful because the scriptures say that Solomon was the wisest man ever, but Solomon is now many, many generations removed from the fall, and the fall of mankind has had time to have its work. We are degrading over time. Uh, You know, it's like in science, you have the law of entropy. Well, Adam is the first man, and this is before the fall. He is, his mind is able to work at, at a, at a rate with a cognition that we can't even fathom. And, and I can't say dogmatically, but there's no, there's no sin to taint it. So you talk about the mind working at its created potential. I mean, people say that, that we don't even use, it's hard to say, I've seen different papers on it, but I've seen some people say that we don't even use 10% of our brain. Other people say we maybe use 70%, but we don't use it all the time to its max potential. Now, Henry Morris thinks that the the entire statistic, uh, you know, for this probably was five hours in the naming process. And he, uh, he estimates that Adam would have had to name 3000 species and keep their names categorized with no repetition. Now, that's an incredible mental feat, but totally within the realm of possibility. You have 24 hours. Adam's in his first day. He probably wasn't created as tired and worn out, but full of energy, no fall, and he was able to get to work right away. But then he discovers that he's lonely or incomplete So as he's naming all these animals, 3,000 different species, having to look at maybe 6,000 or more animals, and he sees them paired off male and female, after hours of this, he would have, because he's been given a mind and created in the image of God, which we talked about a couple episodes ago, he would have been able to make this conclusion that there wasn't such a, a pair, a helper for him. And so we learn from this, number one, God wanted Adam to see that he was alone. In giving him the task of naming the animals, he wanted him to come to that conclusion. Now, it's interesting because it's similar to the law that we see uh, in the New Testament. It says, I would not have known coveting, but now that I do, my heart is filled with covetousness. Adam you know, could have said this, I would not have known loneliness, but now that I've seen all the animals and their mates, I feel alone right? But he doesn't just make any mate. He makes a mate that is suitable to him, verse 20, which is crucial for the discussion of gender. If man's existence is simply about satiating his loneliness, then we've got a problem. That's not what he's there for. It goes goes to the created purpose. Why was man there? To work, to tend the garden, to have dominion over the animals, but more importantly, the, the first mandate that's given in chapter one, to be fruitful and multiply. So the helper that is given to Adam had to be one who can help him to do this, to work the garden, to have dominion over the animals, and to help him be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this also brings about a really interesting observation that God will not command us to do something that he will not also enable us to do. He couldn't very well say to Adam to be fruitful and multiply without bringing him a helper that was suitable for the task, just leaving him there all by himself. And so as we get into this gender discussion, then it's very important for us to realize these things and to work through them logically. 
one Old Testament commentator from uh, over a century ago, uh, Delich, uh, great lexical work in, in Hebrew and uh, commentaries in the Old Testament. He said this uh, with regard to this section of scripture. We may say that human beings cannot fulfill their destiny except in mutual assistance. And so God has really created us for each other, the two genders. He only created two and they are compatible with each other and they are baked into creation. Well, I've used all this time to go into that. We'll pick it up in our next episode and we'll talk about the function then of, of the marriage between man and woman. We'll talk about the structure, the economic arrangement, and we'll pick it up from there. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website, at gfbc.net.